You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. We have to know the authority that we have in order to be able to operate in the things that we're supposed to operate in. And this is something that I've, I've uh, mentioned, talked about, taught on for years. And every time I come back and minister on it, I get a little, uh, I get better at it. I say it better. I say it more, I believe, more accurately. But very simply put, this is what I really believe, is that human beings, from the time God created Adam and Eve and then put them in the garden, and he said, let us make man in our image and give him dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So you hear that, ladies? You got authority over creeps. So praise God. So that's where everything started. And I believe that that is the earth has been in a, in a perpetual state since then of human beings being in charge of the earth. And the way I've, I've often phrased it is that Adam and Eve gave their authority over to Satan. And I actually, I, I believe I have a more accurate understanding now than maybe I did the last time that I ministered to this. I, I think that's true in a sense that they gave their authority over to him. But what I think is really more true is that they only handed it over to him because of what he did to them in terms of their confidence in who they were. Because the very first thing that he, he came to them, the temptation really, was not to eat the fruit, but it was to question who they really were. Because if you go back and, and read it, I'm trying to remember how it says it exactly. It says, uh, he said that when you eat of the tree, then you will be like God. The reality is, is that they were already just like God. Because he said, let us create man in our likeness and in our image. And, and I believe that was Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in the garden. And he said, let us create man in our likeness and in our image, which I believe our outward appearance resembles God, but also the nature of who we are on the inside resembles God perfectly. And when Adam and Eve came under the, the spell of the enemy, they gave into the temptation, and they believed that they didn't have something that they already did, then that's when everything changed. And when their eyes were open and they saw that they were naked, then immediately shame entered in and they saw themselves different than how God saw them. And I, I believe that they died spiritually. I have, I have no qualms about that. But it wasn't God. And I know I said this last week, but I'm saying it again because it's, it's so important or two weeks ago. That whenever, whenever their next interaction with God happened, God didn't reject them. They rejected themselves and pulled themselves away from the Lord. Because it says that the Lord came walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And, and I believe that that was normal for them. That that's just what they normally did, that they would meet with the Lord. And he came walking in the, the cool of the day, and he didn't say, Adam and Eve, you rotten sinners, you disobeyed me. I'm going to have nothing to do with you. He didn't say that. He said, Adam, where are you? 
That indicates to me, if you read between the lines a little bit, that indicates to me that God was expecting to have conversation, to have fellowship with the people that he created. But they were hiding because of their awareness of their humanity. And that is what caused the enemy to come in and be able to rob from mankind since then all the way until today is because the confidence has been shaken in humans about who they really are. And now in Christ, we have this incredible ability to put on a, not only be born again and actually change spiritually, but to put on the mind of Christ and to think just like Jesus thinks. Because the exact same, see, the enemy doesn't have any new tricks. He's got the same old stuff. And I think it's in John that talks about the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Well, in the garden, if you go and look at that, and I'm going to take time to go and look at it all, but it was basically that same thing with the, the fruit. They said they saw that it was um, good to eat, desirable to make one wise, and something else, but it was the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If you fast forward into Jesus, when he, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness, and he was tempted by the enemy there. There was three temptations there, and it was the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And Jesus overcame the temptation. But what's interesting is that if you look at what he was tempted with, for example, the enemy said, if you are the son of God, then turn the stones into bread. You know what? If you're hungry, there's nothing wrong with having bread. Come on. The temptation wasn't to do something wrong. It was to first believe, it was the first to try to get Jesus to believe that he wasn't who God said that he was. Because the Bible says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. This is God manifest in the flesh, had to grow in his natural understanding, in his natural body. If Jesus needed to, how many of y'all know that we need to do the same thing? And so I believe that, because it was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness, and I believe that God knew, the Holy Spirit knew, that Jesus was well able at that point to handle the temptation because he had built up enough confidence because of his time with the Father and his time in the Word and all the prophecies that he could say, and we can't say this part, but he, he, he could say, I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God, and not anything is ever going to convince me anything different. So he went in, and he was tempted in all points like how we are tempted. You know, what's interesting is they didn't have crack cocaine back then. They didn't have all of the junk on the Internet back then. How was he tempted in all points like how we're tempted? And how can he relate to us? Because Jesus had to overcome the lie that said, if you are the son of God, then do these things. If, if you're really, really from God. The same thing that was in the garden that was in, with Jesus in, in the wilderness is the same thing that we're dealing with today and have been since the beginning of the fall of man. If you really are the son of God. I got news for you. Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. You can't have, there's no reason to say he's the first unless there's going to be more, right? That makes common sense. So it says that he was the first because there was going to be billions after him that would be born 
just like Jesus, that would be made just like Jesus in their spirits, the only thing that we have to do is get a revelation of what God's really given us, of how he has really made us. And for those that don't have an understanding, an awakening, an awareness to how God has made them in Christ, those are the ones that Satan will eat your lunch and pop the bag because he is the accuser of the brethren. And what does he accuse people of? Anything that they have done wrong or the things that they haven't done right. And if we listen to the lies of the enemy, the accusations of the enemy that say to us, because you did this, you are this. If we listen to that, then he's got us. But when we can stand with confidence and say, I realize I did that, and I realize that you're telling me I am that, but I've got a different report that God says about me, that he says that I am somebody different than what you are saying about me, devil. I refuse to believe your lies, and you are not going to shake my confidence in who I am in Christ because of his testimony, because of his report, because of his covenant that I'm in through faith in Jesus' works and not my own works. Devil, you can't have any part of me. And for a person that, that gets a hold of that and that gets on the inside of them, those are the ones that hell cannot overcome. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the ones that really, truly know who they are as sons, as daughters, you know, a son or a daughter of the king thinks different than how other people think. If you think about a kingdom, you think about David, King David in, in his kingdom, and you think about his children versus all of the common folk, if you will. The common folk children thought different than David's children thought. Why? Because they were children of the king and they knew it. The ones that know that they're children of the king, they function different. They think different. They act different. And the beautiful thing is, is that you becoming a child, you coming into God's family and into his kingdom had nothing to do with you other than you saying, yes, God, I want to come in, and I know that Jesus is the only way, so I'm putting my trust in you. That's all that was required of you. That's it. Not, there's not anything else. You couldn't work to get in, and your rotten works won't have you kicked back out. Now, you can walk outside the walls and, you know, live like an animal. That's your business. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> but you can do that. But, you know, even if you did that, it doesn't change the fact that you're still a son of the king. He's just not acting like it. But I found that a lot of people live underneath of this, this stronghold of the enemy bringing guilt and shame and constantly keeping people focused on their humanity that you couldn't help. You can't help the fact that you were born a human. And God made you a human, and he wants you to be a human, and he loves humans. He invented humans. He created humans. But the enemies come, up, come in and messed it all up and made us aware of our fallacy because every single person sitting in this room and watching online has fallacy. You have problems and issues and stuff and junk and whatever. And if the enemy can get you to focus on that, he will keep you living at a lesser level, not enforcing your kingship, or I'll say your position in God's kingdom. You won't enforce it because you'll, you'll always think for some reason God can't use you or God won't use you or he, you've done too much stuff that he won't bless you or whatever the situation is. But as soon as you can get out of that mindset of, my, now listen, your, your stuff 
matters. What you do matters. People that are living in sin, that matters. That's not a good thing to do. But I will say this, that even if you've messed up, even if you are messing up, it doesn't change your position with the Lord. That's what the story of the prodigal son is all about. How many of y'all glad for the story of the prodigal son? Because even when you and I, after we got saved, still did some really ridiculous stuff, God still accepted us back because it didn't, didn't change. Even though our condition was not currently well at that point, our position with him never changed. <laughs> Man, this is awesome. Let me show you this a little bit more in Revelation chapter 12. There's this, you know what this is? This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there is not any, the, the Bible says that the, the gospel, everybody say the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Now look here in Revelation chapter 12. Can we pull Revelation 12 and 10 up? Revelation 12, we're going to read Revelation 12, 10, 11, and 12. Powerful passages. Look at what it says here. It says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony now, hang on to this verse 11 here. I'm going to camp here for a second, and then we'll do verse 12. And by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. I'm going to challenge the way this is written. Not, not the, the Bible's 100% true. The Passion Translation, which I don't consider to be one of the most accurate translations, but it's a really good way to read things. In the Passion Translation, it says, and they overcame him, speaking of the devil, the accuser, because remember the verse before talks about the accuser, right? The accuser of the brethren. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, and the, the Passion Translation says, and by the powerful word of his testimony. You say, well, I believe it's their testimony because that's how I've read it my whole life. I don't argue that we have a testimony that helps us overcome the enemy, but the only testimony we have is the one that Jesus gave us. <laughs> and if you realize something, that the word of his testimony, what has been spoken, you realize his blood speaks. His blood has spoken, and it testifies that the accuser no longer has any right to bring accusation against people that have been covered in the blood. Literally, that's what the blood speaks. So somebody who has been born again, if you could look into the spirit, you would see somebody saying, Jesus, I receive you, and I believe you would see the blood of Christ just completely cover them. And it's his testimony, because after all, he was the one that did the work. Jesus did the work, we get the reward and God gets the glory. That's a pretty good deal. Pretty good deal for us. Amen. Jesus did the work and we get the reward from his work. But it's his testimony that we carry about how we can stand in the midst of any accusation and say, you can't have me, devil. You know why? Because we didn't do enough good stuff 
for the enemy to not right, rightfully be able to accuse us. But in the courtroom of heaven, Jesus came in with his blood. And it, it wasn't like, oh, well, they didn't do those wrong things. It was like Jesus came in with his blood and said, the wrong things have been done, but I'm taking all of the payment, all of the penalty that was due for not just the wrong things that people do, but for the nature they were born with. I'm taking all of the penalty for that, and I'm taking it on myself, and I'm covering them with my blood, and not anything past, present, or even future tense will ever be able to bring any kind of accusation to keep them out of the blessing, the kingdom, the favor, and the righteousness of our God. And when you see that, when you get a hold of that, that's what will cause you to rise up in confidence. And I've had people challenge me for years. You, know, you say that people just go live in sin. I've yet to meet anybody that gets a hold of this that goes and lives in sin. They go and live like victor victorious sons and daughters is what they do. Go to verse 12. Please, thank you. It says, therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. You, you want to know why the devil is so hard after you and brings so much accusation and, and all the stuff that he would bring against you? It's because he knows that his time is short. He's only got a little time left to work his cunningness and craftiness. He only has a little time left. And once his time is done, he is done. Cut off, thrown into hell, and hell itself will be thrown into the lake of fire to burn forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, etc. Infinity to never come and haunt us again. Never will he ever be able to make us feel like we are inferior because in Christ we are superior. But the reality is, not superior to other people, but superior to the devil, amen? The reality is we can live in that right now because salvation already belongs to us. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 10 it says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day that you can stand against all the wiles and the cunningness and craftiness of the devil. And there's probably been a lot of, there has been a lot of stuff over the years as far as what that means, but let me simply tell you what it means. When you look at the armor of God, you have the helmet of salvation, you have the sword of the spirit, the gospel shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, and I think maybe I missed one in there, the belt of truth. And you have all of that. All of that armor is in the spirit of your mind. It's how you view yourself. It's how you view people. It's how you view the kingdom of God. And it's how you view the, darkness, the, the kingdom of darkness. It's in the spirit of your mind. So where does righteousness belong? It belongs in the spirit of your mind. And why would you have a breastplate of righteousness? Because when you stand in the midst of the accusations of the enemy, you stand there with God's, I'll say, a cross right there. And whatever he would throw at you that says that you're lesser than what he says about you, you've got it embedded right there. And by the way, it protects all of your vital organs. And anything that he would throw at you, you have, you have God's signia. You have his stamp. You have, 
You have his righteousness. It's the breastplate of righteousness, but it's not your righteousness. It's his righteousness that he's given to you. And all you have to do is stand. And whatever the devil throws at you, go lie, 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 lie. Because God says right here, he's put me in his army. And it says it right here that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And my past does not define me. My current problems do not define me. And even any stupid mistake I would make in the future will not define me. I'm defined by who I am in Christ Jesus and nothing less. Man, somebody get me a hanky. <laughs> Man, this stuff will set you. I'm set free. It'll set you free. I'm going to take a couple minutes, and I'm going to show you, because, man, I got you on the ropes now. So boom. I'm going to keep going. Romans chapter 7. And I want to show you something from Romans 7 and 8. And you have to hang with me back there on the slides because... I don't know where I'm going to go because what I want to do is read the entire two chapters to help you understand something, but I'm not going to do that because uh, you'd be put to sleep just listening to me read, so I don't want to do that. <laughs> Let me say this about Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8. Thank you. Hallelujah. It's, an, it's a Pastor Bobby anointed hanky. Hallelujah. Um, Romans chapter 7, I'll say, is in the top five of the most confusing chapters in the entire Bible. I read it for years, and I'm like, what in the world does this mean? I'm looking at Nathan over here, and Nathan, um, his girls did the skit, and he wrote it in, uh, is it in the, uh, the book I'm reading now? I can't think of the name of it. Yes, yeah, so I, did, I read it in there. He's got a book. Nathan's wrote two books, right, and you're working on your third. Um, Any Tree of the Garden, I'm, I, I'm reading it right now. It's an awesome book. You need to get it, and you need to read it. Um, but in there, he talks about the Roman 7 card, and his girls did a skit uh, years ago about the Roman 7 card. And basically, you know, Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7, he's like, he's like oh, oh, wretched man that I am, and goes into all of this, you know, the things that I want to do, I don't do, the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing, and da 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 And people have, at times, taken out what he calls the Romans 7 card when they do something wrong, and it's like, oh, I'm sorry, I just can't help it, that's just the way that I am, I want to do good, but I can't seem to do it. That is not what this verse means, or this passage means at all. What Romans 7 is talking about, and you can go and read it on your own time, but what it's talking about, and it is so confusing, I mean, you read it, you're like, what in the world did I just read? And I think a lot of it just going from from Greek and then over to the English language, there was just some things that probably got confused the way it's written in our language. But if you read it, you can get understanding of it. But it basically is saying this. Paul, the way he's writing, and he's saying, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this, this uh, body of death and from all of these things? What he's doing is he's talking in terms of a natural man. And he's talking about the natural man can never live at a place that's fully pleasing. The natural man can't live at a place that's fully pleasing to God, and the natural man can't live at a, at a place that's fully pleasing to the conscience. You can never do enough right stuff to ever come to a place to where you're, you're fully in right standing and that you know you're in right standing. The only reason I know I'm in right standing is not because Kent lives so perfect. It's because Jesus lives so perfect, and I said, yes, Jesus, I'll receive your righteousness, and I'm going to walk and carry that because I know that I'm not good enough. So at the very end of Romans chapter 7, 
And go to verse 23, Romans 7 and 23. It says, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Now, I'm going to stretch your thinking here, and I don't have much time left to stretch your thinking, but I'm going to stretch your thinking here. When it talks about sin here, sin is not only what we do wrong, but it's also what we don't do right. And so when he's talking about sin, he's not just talking about the bad stuff that people do. And I think a lot of like old time preaching is like living in sin. And people are going, oh, I know that thing that I did. And so that's what we think about sin. But sin is not just the wrong stuff, but it's, not, it's missing the mark. So literally trying to do the best you can and you still miss the mark, that also is sin. So if you can think about sin more broad than just doing something wrong, but also not doing something right, because that's an accurate definition of sin, you can have a better understanding of what this is talking about. Because Paul's not describing every human being that just constantly lives in blatant open, open sin. He's talking about every human being that is always wanting to do right, but can't ever hit the mark. And because they're so focused on their flesh and their performance, it drives them to a place of being so frustrated. And he's describing that kind of man. And in verse 24, actually, let me read verse 23 again into 24. It says, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself, I myself serve the Lord, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And what he's saying is that I want to do right, but I just can't ever seem to live right enough. And so I've got this, this, this tearing, if you will, on the inside of me. Every single human being can relate to this. And if you came into religion, it only amplified the pain inside your soul. It didn't help it. That is the most true statement I maybe have ever made. Religion, is, it's a system of works that produces no fruit. And religion only amplifies, amplifies the pain inside of the souls of human beings that are born with an awareness of I'm not enough and I have to be good enough. I have to come to a measure of goodness. And religion says you're, you're, you're getting close, but here's the bar. And when you reach that, it's like, well, actually, here's the bar. Well, good, you got that? Here's the bar. This is why Jesus was so hard on the Pharisees. Listen to this. It's because they weren't preaching the law. They were preaching the commandments of men. Because if they had preached the law, they themselves and the hearers would have said, oh, my God, we can never live up to that. And would have said, God, help us. But they didn't do that. They preached, do this, do this, keep this thing, wash all these things. And it was just low enough where most, most humans couldn't keep it, but the really, really good ones could keep that. And it was all performance driven. And so they brought the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're called Sadducees because they're so sad, you see. <laughs> they brought they brought God's people underneath a lesser commandment, making them believe that they could attain and keep right standing with God through performance. And you wonder why Jesus was so ticked off. Because they should have been preaching the law. You have to do 
all 613 plus the 10, you got to do all of it to be right with God so that people would go, I can't do it. And they'd go, great, we can't do it either. Let's just ask God for mercy till the Messiah comes. Let's just ask him for mercy till the Messiah comes. That was the point of the law. So now we have people that come into that are born under that same thing of I got to be right, I got to be right, I got to be right, I got to be right. And they come into churches and they go, well, if you pay your tithes, if you, you know, if you, if you work with the children's ministry, if you, you know, you change diapers, you work in the parking lot ministry, if you read your Bible so many hours a day, and they put all of this stuff and it's like, that never came from God. It's good to serve. It's good to read your Bible. It's good to do those things. It will benefit you, but it doesn't make you more right with God. If you do it with the right heart, it will help you understand that you're already right, right with God through Jesus. Oh, my gosh. Religion only amplifies. It only amplifies the pain inside of people's soul. Man, this is the message for the ages. This is mind equals blown. Look at this here in verse 1. And this is, you got to understand this in the context of everything. Because we quote this so often, but we don't even finish it most of the time. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And we usually stop right there. Can I tell you that that statement all by itself is not incorrect, but it's incomplete. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. If you are in Christ Jesus, but you are still walking in the flesh or in a, listen, remember what I defined as sin. If you're walking in the flesh or in a sinful lifestyle, meaning you're doing wrong stuff, or you're not, you're trying to do right, but you can't measure up, that's a sinful lifestyle. <laughs> the most sinful people are the ones that are trying to do the best and not trusting in the Lord. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because right before that, he said, but I thank God that Jesus Christ, our Lord, he's delivered me from this, from this pain of always trying to do right but never measuring up. Jesus delivered me. So for anyone who is in Christ Jesus who walks according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh, there's no condemnation for those people. But the Scriptures parallel, so the opposite is true. Anyone who's in Christ Jesus who's walking according to the flesh and not according to the Spirit will be in condemnation. From God? No, from the devil. Because you're... Your eyes are fixed on what you can do instead of who you are. I'm going to write this really fast and then I'm going I'm to quit. Confidence in him. In him. Is like putting on our spiritual uniform and operating in God's given authority. And in, in the God-given authority that we have. It has to come back to confidence in him and how he has made us and who we are in the spirit. It has to come back to that. And this doesn't mean that what you do, again, that it doesn't matter. What we do matters. Things that we, everything we do is, is sowing seed. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that, that he will reap. If you're sowing to the flesh, you're of the flesh going to reap corruption. Whether you're talking about just you know, sin, you know, whatever kind of sin you're doing wrong or always trying to perform, like, God, I'm doing it, here I am, that's going to lead to death. 
all that's gonna lead to death. But when you just come to a place where you say, Father, I'm trusting you, my life is yours, you, you, you work through me, and you change me and mold me and make me, you stay in that place, now you're walking and operating in the Spirit, and you're sowing to the Spirit, and of the Spirit, you're gonna reap everlasting life. I can't read this because it just takes too long, but if you go through chapter eight, you're gonna see, really chapter seven and chapter eight, you're gonna see two phrases, okay? One is, in or according to the flesh, either one of those, in the flesh or according to the flesh. And then the other one is in or according to the spirit. And I'm going to write this out so plain that you'll see it. All right. So we're going to do, I'm just going to, for simplicity, I'll just do in. It's going to, hey, will you come hold this still real quick? Thank you, sir. So we're going to do in the flesh. I was going to take a little bit more room. And then we're going to do in the spirit. So here's what it looks like to do something in the flesh. Yeah, just continue to hold. Thank you, sir. Is you can do, you can be in sin, meaning uh, bad stuff. We'll put it that way. Bad stuff, all right? Stuff you shouldn't be doing that you're doing, all right? You can be in sin, or you can be in, let's see, how did I write it? Oh, uh, yeah. You can be in performance. A.K.A. trying, everybody say trying, trying to please God through actions, all right? Both of those are flesh. They just take you down a different path, but the result is the same. Watch this. You're doing sinful stuff. You know what you do? You're, or what you're doing is you're giving ammo. I didn't spell it right, but it's okay. Ammo to Satan. It's like, I'm not under any condemnation, but you keep doing something that you know you're not supposed to do. You're just giving him ammunition. There's no reason to give him ammunition. Now, if you're doing something or you've done something that you're not supposed to do, say, Jesus, I thank you for your forgiveness. I receive it, and I don't want to do that thing anymore. Number one, because it's harmful to me. I don't want to sow to the flesh. But number two, I don't want to give Satan any ammo against me. I don't want to have to fight off those thoughts any longer because I'm intentionally doing things that I, that I don't want to do. You know what this does over on this side? Having a performance, trying to please God through actions. What it, what it does is just reveals a reliance on uh, flesh. You perform... It reveals a, a reliance on flesh. And you know what? Both of these things end up coming and equaling or producing is an awareness. I apologize for my handwriting. Awareness of our humanity. So that's just like, okay, don't do that. Religion will have you over here performing. You're going to be relying on your own strength, and you're going to find yourself just being more aware of your humanity, more aware of your flesh, and not less. Opposite of what salvation is supposed to do. Opposite of what trust in Christ is supposed to do. Opposite of righteousness. On the other side, and this is much more simple. In the spirit, it's as simple as this. This equals reliance on Jesus finished work 
So whenever you read in these two chapters, but many places in the word, that according to the spirit, you're talking about a reliance on Jesus' finished work. And then this is what is the end result of this. Make sure I write it right. I need my microphone back, but it's broken at the moment. Oh, yeah. It, it, it brings out an awareness. Of who we are in him. Those are your two options in life. You can walk in the spirit or you can walk in the flesh. And just because you're walking in the, just because you're saved doesn't mean you're automatically walking in the spirit. You can be walking in, you can be walking in total flesh and be born again. And it's because you're relying on self and you're not relying on the Lord. Man, this is. I wish, I wish, because you could sit down now. Thank you. I wish, and I'm going to just finish with this and I'm just going to pray over you. I wish that somebody had shared this with me when I was 10 years old, 12 years old, 15 years old, 20 years old. And I know a lot of you are thinking, I wish I'd heard this a while ago too. Because for me, I lived with such an awareness of who I am in the natural that I really believed that God viewed me how I viewed me. But you gotta understand something. God doesn't view you like you view you. God views you through the blood of Christ, a new creation. And when he hears us talking down about ourselves, he's like, I don't, why are they saying that? Totally not talking how they were made. It doesn't even make it doesn't even make sense. I mean, God's smart, but I could say it like this: it doesn't even compute with God. I mean, He's smart enough to compute it, but it just doesn't compute with how He's made us. It's like, wait a second, why are they talking like that? I've made them different. Why are they acting like that? I've made them different. We live out of what we believe about ourselves. Good, better, and different. We live based on how and what we believe about ourselves. So let's change from having a mindset of living out of performance and living in Christ instead. Thank you, Jesus. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.